0: Thursday such a crazy lazy day.
1: Thursday has its own peculiar way of saying hey sometimes Thursday almost makes you want to run away. Thursday such a crazy lazy
2: That's the melodious sound of Harry Nielsen singing about Thursdays. Thursdays is a day of the week you wouldn't think there'd be too many songs written about, right? And you're right. (laughs) You're right. There's not too many songs about Thursdays. Anyway, we're glad you made it to this Thursday. Chester, good afternoon. How are you, sir? Fine. We usually record this very early in the morning, but this week we're doing it in the early afternoon because... Everybody had a day off today, right? This Thursday? Yeah, it's Thanksgiving Day, so everybody had the day off. I hope that you're enjoying your time off. Uh, This is the day that we play an old-time radio western, which is one of our our, uh, most popular shows. We get, I think, more listeners to westerns than just about anything. That in the archive show, if you can believe it. But we've got a good one uh, lined up for today, so we invite you to get over there in that easy chair, get your feet up, a little snack maybe, a little something to drink, and let the cares of the day drift away because we are going to come back with a great old-time Radio Western in just a minute.
1: Those days got us on the your way of sailing. Sometimes Thursday makes you want to run away. Thursday, such a crazy lizard
2: All right, that's Harry Nielsen, as I said earlier, one of the few songs about Thursdays. All right, it's Western Day, and so what we're going to play today is an episode of The Frontier Gentleman. It was originally broadcast in October, October the 10th in 1958. And we'll talk a little bit about it on the other side, so I'm not going to tell you too much about this going in. But uh, this one features, of course, John Daner as J.B. Kendall. He is a writer for the London Times, and he really just roams around the Old West sending in reports about adventures I guess you'd have to say, adventures and stories about the American West, which seems to captivate the readers back in London. So this one is entitled The Preacher, and it's got a nice storyline to it, and I think you're going to enjoy it. This, one, this is a dramatic episode. And so let's give a listen. This is John Daner as J.B. Kendall in Frontier Gentleman," first broadcast on 1010-1958 on CBS. And the episode title is The Preacher.
3: Frontier Gentlemen. Here with an Englishman's account of life and death in the West. As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual stories. But as a man with a gun, he lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the new territories. Now, starring John Daner, this is the story of J.B. Kendall, Frontier Gentleman. I had seen him several times in Deadwood, a tall, lean, almost cadaverous looking man, wearing a black frock coat, shiny with age, and trousers which were fraying at the knees. He would walk through the streets, lips moving in soundless words, seemingly oblivious of the turmoil and bustle surrounding him. It was a few days before my departure from Deadwood that I met him, and then, under rather unusual circumstances... I had gone to the gunsmith, Mr. Josiah Mellet, who was repairing some defect in my gun.
4: Good morning, Mr. Kendall.
3: Good morning, Mr. Mellet. Is my gun ready? Yes, sir.
4: It was the pall spring was mostly the trouble. I replaced the main spring, too. She was a mite on the weak side. I smoothed the action down some, like you ask. Want to see how she feels? Hmm.
3: Very good, Mr. Millett. Thank you.
4: Don't see many of those double-action frontiers.
3: Kind of new on the market. How do you like it? Very much. Good weight and quite accurate. Oh, I'll need some cartridges. Box? Two, I think.
4: So, you're pulling out of Deadwood, eh?
3: Uh, In a couple of days. Going east? As far as the Missouri. I'll be taking the boat down to St. Louis.
4: Uh, I'd sure like to see that old town again. Been more than 15 years since I was there. Oh. Will there be anything else, Mr. Kendall? Oh, no, I don't think
3: so, thank you. How much do I owe you?
4: Well, let me see now. to uh,
3: Purchase a gun.
4: I'll be with you in
5: a minute, mister. Please, there's no time. I must have it now. As soon as I'm through. you don't understand there's a man
4: looking for me, he'll kill me. No, he won't. Not in here, he won't. You can see. I him don't no allow shooting in my area. place. Not with all this black powder around. No, sir. Please. Now, now you just take it easy, mister. Now, it,
3: it's all right, Mr. Mellard. I don't mind waiting.
4: Thank you, sir. Say so you want a gun. What kind of a gun? It
5: doesn't matter. Something with which I can protect myself.
4: And, mister, you take my advice. You go on up to the marshal's office. Tell him what's what, and he'll give you protection. No, I wish to buy
3: a weapon. Uh, If you're not used to shooting, it won't do you much good. Mr. Mellet's right. He's out there waiting for me now. When I leave here, he'll kill me. Who? It doesn't matter. I beg you
5: to
6: sell me a
3: gun. Uh, Look here. I think Mr. Mellet's idea is the best. Let me walk with you to the marshal's office. It wouldn't do any good you don't know this man. He'll stop at nothing. Well, I don't mind taking the chance. It's quite possible if he sees you with someone, he won't be as anxious to start shooting.
4: Yeah, uh, Good advice if you ask me. Mister, you're as good as dead if you try throwing lead against a man who knows guns. Uh, you wouldn't have a chance.
3: If you'll just wait a moment while I load... Uh,
4: well, uh, three dollars will about do it, Mr. Kendall. Mm, right... Sure, hope you have a nice trip. You can come back this way. Stop by. Mm, yes, I will. Well, it smells like we're going to have an early winter. You won't be missing much if we do. It surely can whistle up a mean freeze around here. Yes, I've heard. There. Uh, three dollars? Yeah, that's right. All right. There. Much obliged.
3: Thank you, Mr. Millet.
4: You uh, know where the marshal's office is at.
3: Yes, thank you. Goodbye, Mr. Mellott.
4: Don't mind if I watch from the door, do you?
3: No, not at all. Uh, you see him? Yes. Across the street. Ah, uh, yes. So long. Uh, thanks again, Mr. Mellat. Do you mind my asking why he wants to kill you? It's a thing that happened some years ago, a private matter. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Yorby.
5: Thomas Yorby, Mr. I'm Yorby. very grateful to you, Mr. Kendall, isn't it? Yes. The marshal can't help me. Nobody can. Sooner or later he'll do it. He'll find me, kill me. He swore he would. Uh slow down,
3: Mr. Yorby. He's crossing over. Now listen to me. If he starts shooting, lie down.
6: Morning, preacher. Said your prayers today. What do you want? What do you think? You mind standing to one side, mister? I've come a long way to kill this fellow. He's not armed. Doesn't matter, none. Get out of the way. I don't like murder. Me neither. But shooting the preacher ain't murder. It's a kindness.
3: I hate to meddle in a private affair, but Mr. Yorby asked for protection. I feel bound to see him safely to the marshal's office. I got no quarrel with you. Nor I with you. But I'm not letting you shoot an unarmed man.
6: I won't take no chances swapping shots with you, mister. You might just be good enough to beat me. I got too much to live for. You're lucky, preacher. You're lucky you talked this fellow into helping you. But he better stay almighty close to your side, because when you're alone, I'm coming looking for you. And next time I'll get you.
3: The stranger was a man of somewhat slight stature, hair graying. As he walked away, I noticed that he had a limp. Then he disappeared into a saloon. My companion, Thomas Yorby, passed a shaking hand across his face. It would have
5: been better to have had done with it. Let him kill you. I'm tired, Mr. Kendall. He'll keep his word. There'll be no
3: rest, no peace for either of us. Let the Marshal take care of it. No,
5: it's useless. He can't arrest the man for something he hasn't yet done. Mm,
3: But what are you going to do?
5: Wait for him to
3: find me again. Why not leave Deadwood? Go somewhere else.
5: It would be the same wherever I went. He'll follow. Sooner or later, he'll find me.
3: Uh, Listen to me, Mr. Yorby. I don't know what you've done, but I shan't sleep very well at night unless I do my best to see you're not murdered. I shall be leaving myself in a couple of days. If you wish, you can share my hotel room and travel with me to Fort Pier. You have no reason to do this. For all you know, he may have every right to want to kill me. That's possible. But in the meantime, we better get you off the street before he changes his mind and shoots us both in the back. There.
5: I envy you.
3: Hmm? Oh, I thought you were asleep. Mr. Yorby, there's one thing I should like to know. That man called you Preacher. Are you a, a minister? I was. Ah.
5: His name is Boyd Greer. I married his sister. She died in Hayes City. He blamed me for it. That was five years ago. You say you were a minister? After the death of my wife, I could no longer preach the gospel. When she was lost to me, I lost faith. I cared about nothing. Why does Greer blame you? He was against my taking her to Hayes. It was a rough town. I wanted to preach there. She insisted on going with me. There was trouble, a shooting. She died.
3: And he blamed you for that,
5: After her death, I left Hayes, wandering, finding enough work to keep myself alive. But wherever I went, always the knowledge that he was looking for me.
3: Now he's found me. Hmm. And there's nothing else?
5: Yes. It's the thing that keeps me from sleeping in the night. The knowledge that the shooting could have been prevented.
3: How did she die?
5: Years ago, there was a young man who had come out of the war knowing only how to kill. He joined other young men who had the same emptiness of purpose. They drifted to Arizona Territory and on north into Kansas. The young man was called the Torrigo Kid. He knew how to use a gun. The others followed him. Then one day, one day he heard an old man, a preacher. He heard the words... And he knew that his life was meaningless. He threw away the gun. He swore never to use it again. He studied with that old man. And he learned about good. He became a preacher. And met a
3: woman who loved him. You were the Torigo kind.
5: In Hayes City, I was with my wife preaching in a saloon. She had a sweet voice. Sang the hymns. Then somebody recognized me. There were words... <laughs> Happened so quickly. A gun was put into my hand, and there was shooting. When it was finished, the man who knew me was dead, and
3: she was dead too.
5: I threw down the gun and ran away.
3: Does Greer know about the Tarigo kid? He found out. When you came to the gunsmith shop to buy a gun, you were going to kill him. I couldn't. I
5: knew I couldn't. That's why I. Let you talk me out of it. If you had a gun... He would be dead now. I'd rather die myself than that. Stay here. Where are you going? To find Greer. He won't listen to you. Why should he? I don't know, but he might. It's better if I face him myself alone and stop running. I've sinned. I used to think that turning to the Bible would cleanse me, but how could it? I have yet to complete payment for my sins. Perhaps my death will be an atonement...
3: I don't think so. Will you stay in the room? All right, Mr. Kendall. I'll stay. I left the hotel and walked back to Main Street, to where i had seen Greer go into the saloon. I found him there, sitting at a table in a dark corner, staring moodily into a glass of whiskey. Is he hiring guns now? no.
6: I came to talk. I have nothing to say to you. Are you drunk? No. I can't get drunk.
3: If you kill him, will it bring back to your sister? She'll rest easier. Will you? He lied. Coming
6: into the house, that oily tongue, preaching about God and all the time knowing what he'd been, what he was. A man can change. Not him. My sister was a nice girl. Pretty. She could have married a decent man, had kids. She could be alive today. He killed her as sure as if he shot her himself. Taking her to haze,
3: throwing lead. Yes, he told me about it. Maybe he wasn't to blame. You finished what you come to say? He was going to buy a gun and shoot it out with you. He didn't. Gunshine. No. He says he could kill you in a gunfight. I'm, I'm inclined to believe that he could. You'll never get the chance. Seems to me you're taking a lot on yourself, sitting in judgment. There isn't anybody else to do it. The law won't. The law might be more just. The law is wrong. And what does the law say about a man who kills in cold blood? (coughs) It's execution. There's the difference. All right. Now I'll tell you something. I don't think you'll do it.
6: Don't you push me too hard, mister. I might take my chances with you
3: first. I'll make it easy for you. He's in my hotel room. I'll take you there. I won't interfere. If you think you can pull the trigger, do so. I say you won't, because you know it'll be murder, and they'll hang you for it. (laughs) You lead the
0: way,
4: mister.
3: The sky was overcast as we walked up the main street of Deadwood to the hotel. There was a chill in the air, and the steep slopes on either side of the road closed in over us, oppressive, dark. After talking to Greer, seeing him, I had reasoned that in my presence he would not kill his brother-in-law, even if given the chance. It was a risk, but the risk of allowing the two men to meet alone was greater. We walked down the shadowy hallway to my room.
6: Where is he? Well, I left him here. You make a move for your gun, mister, and I'll kill you. You and the preacher, mighty fancy play you're making. There's no trick. I thought he'd be here. Maybe he stepped out, huh? Then he'll come in and plug me in the back. All right. Just Wait. When he shows his face in that door, I'm going to blow it off for him.
3: We waited. Ten minutes. Twenty. An hour. There was no sound. Through the window, I could see a few flakes of snow drifting down through the trees. It was cold in the room. Then I heard steps outside in the hallway. Greer heard them, too. Motion to me for silence.
6: Come on in, preacher. Funny thing. I've been sitting here kind of savoring the time when you'd come through that door and I'd put a bullet in your head. Now you're here, I want to watch your face. I want to hear you howl before I do it. Your pal. He figured to get me in here so you and him could finish me off, huh? Shoot. Get it over with. No hurry. No hurry at all. Where you
5: been? I went down to the stage station. But I knew I could never run far enough. So I came back. Where you want it, preacher? If it'll give you pleasure... Shoot me where it'll hurt, so you can hear me scream. It hurt
6: when she was killed. Why shouldn't it hurt you? Don't talk anymore. Do it and let me go in peace. There won't be any peace for you, not even when you're dead. You can't have any power over that, boy. You shut that dirty mouth of yours, you hear? I'm not afraid now.
5: I know the wrongs I've done. I know it was my fault she died, so go on. Shoot! Shoot! Shut up!
6: You hear me? I won't listen to that stinking, greasy lip of yours like preaching to me, you hear? Just
5: know this one thing, Boyd. I could have killed you if I'd wanted to carry a gun. I didn't. I don't have to
6: listen anymore. Now shoot or get out. Next one I don't miss. I've had enough of this. You get back where you belong, Put Mr. away the
3: gun or I'm going to take it from you. I'm telling you. Put it
6: away. All this time... All this time is the time I've wanted to kill him. Couldn't think of nothing else. Listen to me, Boyd. I'll never be able to forget.
5: I loved her. Because of me, she's dead. I think I'm sorry you didn't shoot me. Then I wouldn't have to remember. Remember?
6: And that's good. That's a good thing. Mister, I'm obliged to you. I'm much obliged. I ain't looking for you no more, preacher. You walk alone now. And you remember my sister. You remember what you done to her.
3: Thomas Yorby stood looking at the door for a moment, then without a word, he opened it and went out. I watched from my window and saw the tall figure with head bent go out into the cold street, threadbare, shiny coat. He walked away and was lost in a swirl of snowflakes. Gentleman was written, produced, and directed by Anthony Ellis, and stars John Daner as J.B. Kendall. Featured in the cast were Waldo Epperson, Richard Perkins, and Ray Woods. Join us again next week for another report from The Frontier Gentleman. Bud Sewell speaking.
2: Any fool can be happy. It takes a man with real heart to make beauty out of the stuff that makes us weep. That was Frontier Gentleman as originally heard on October 10th, 1958. What a classic, classic show. And just a couple of uh, program notes here. First of all, obviously the preacher there, the Torrego Kid, was played by Parley Bear. We all know that voice so well. And um, Boyd Greer, the stranger in town that was out to shoot him, his brother-in-law, that was obviously Vic Parent. And Mr. Millet, the gunsmith at the beginning of the show, was obviously Ralph Moody. But yet, when they gave the credits at the end, they said, featuring Waldo Epperson, Ray Woods, and Richard Perkins. Now, why they did that, I have no idea. If anybody can answer that. Uh, I would appreciate you send me an email. Just send it to bob at com. And the other thing I was going to mention, this story took place in Deadwood, which of course is today is in the uh, western part of uh, South Dakota, just almost right on the Wyoming line. And Rapid City is just a little, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 miles south and east of Deadwood. Now, Rapid City is where Fort Hayes was, but I don't know if Fort Hayes is the same as Hayes City, which is where they talked about all of this, this uh, happening with his, uh, his wife dying. Now, I do see, according to Wikipedia, in the very early days of Rapid City, it was known as Hayes City, and it was basically a gold rush town because of gold being found into the Black Hills. Now, there's also obviously a Hayes, Kansas, which is quite a bit south of there. If anyone knows about that, I'd I'd appreciate knowing too. But when they talk about Hayes City, I usually think they're talking about Kansas. But looking it up, there was a Fort Hayes, and I don't know if in the Old West they referred to that ever as Hayes City or not. So if any of you live up there and can answer that... uh, if you'd give me a shout-out, I'd appreciate it, too. Let's see. Was there anything else on there? Pretty good story, wasn't it? That was uh, very moving and, and very realistic. And I just love the fact that that uh, they could take an old Western setting and put such a human story in that, a story that could have taken place almost any time in time. Frontier gentlemen, one of the class shows, Uh, from the very final days of the golden age of radio. Well, kiddos, we made it through this week. That's going to wrap things up for the week of November. What did we start off with? 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th. No, 23rd. 23rd through the 26th. And I hope you enjoyed our selections this week. We'll be back next Monday with uh, a comedy, Tuesday with a drama, Wednesday with a mystery, and Thursday with another Western. But over this weekend, we will have the Archive Show. So we hope you listen to that. We are going to go out today with a uh, couple of songs that sort of blend in with our the theme of uh, our episode that we listen to tonight, A Frontier Gentleman. The first one is by Bobby Gentry, and it was from 1969. The second one is by the Kingston Trio. And if you were around in 1963, a lot of folk music in 1963, well, you'll remember this one. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me.
0: your son and when his daddy would be
1: Rode easy in the saddle, he was tall and lean, and at first you thought nothing but a streak of mean could make a man look so downright strong. But when look in his eyes, and you knowed you was wrong. He was a mountain of a man, and I want you to know he could preach hot hell or freezing snow. He carried a Bible in a canvas sack, and the folks just called him the Reverend Mister Black. He was poor as a beggar, but he rode like a king. Sometimes in the evening I could hear him sing i got to walk that lonesome valley i got to walk it by myself or oh, nobody else can walk it for me i got to walk it by myself if ever i could have thought that this man in black was soft had any yellow up his back i gave that notion up the day. A lumberjack came in And it wasn't a prey Yeah, he kicked open The meeting house door And he cussed everybody Up and down the floor And then when things Got quiet in the place He walked up and cussed In the preacher's face He hit that reverend Like the kick of a mule Into my way of thinking It took a pure fool To turn the other cheek To that lumberjack But well, that's what he did The reverend Mr. Black He stood like a rock man among men, then he let that lumberjack hit him again, and then with a voice as kind as could be he cut him down like a big old tree when he said you got to walk that lonesome valley you got to walk it by yourself for nobody else can walk it for you, you got to walk it by yourself been many years since we had to part and I guess I learned his ways by heart. I can still hear his sermons ring down in the valley where he used to sing. I followed him yes sir and I don't regret it I hope that I'll always be a credit to his memory cause I want you to understand the Reverend Mr. Black was my old man. You got to walk that lonesome valley You got to walk Walk
0: it by yourself. You got to
1: walk that Lonesome Valley. You got to walk it by yourself, or nobody else can walk it for you. You got to walk it by yourself.